Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with our text today, you can turn to Mark chapter 8. This week we're going to be looking at one of the most challenging and difficult parts of the story of Jesus to understand. Um, and, and the reason why it's so hard is because it seemingly flies in the face of everything that we seemingly know and want to be true and are taught about who Jesus is. We've spent the last four weeks looking at these encounters that Jesus has been having with different people, whether it's tax collectors or demon-possessed people, outcasts, and people struggling to understand their faith. I'm so grateful for Pastor Matt who led us the last, last couple of weeks and, and did a really wonderful job. But, but the, the common thread that's run through all of these encounters that we've looked at is that the incredible power and supremacy of Jesus Christ. And this week, I want to take this really hard to understand story that, that sort of is counterintuitive almost in bits in comparison to the, to the stories that we've looked at before. But I want to I take this story and use it as a bit of a backdrop to a larger story. The story that I want to tell this morning as we look at this, these passages is, is our story, is, is the story of you and I and the story of our journey with Jesus and how we can see the journey of Jesus in us and our journey with him in this hard story that takes place. The, the story that we're going to be looking at is found in Mark chapter 8, and it's, it's just a little story, only a couple of verses. La last week, our, our Encountering Jesus video was like four and a half minutes long. This week, it was like 45 seconds, much, much shorter. Um, but it's, it's just verses 22 through 25. And, and the reason why this story is so difficult is because it doesn't go the way that we think stories are supposed to go with Jesus. This story can be problematic because I think on its surface it can kind of challenge our preconceived notions about Jesus and, and who Jesus was and how Jesus operated. And, and if we don't take time to really unpack this story, two things can happen with this story. One, it can bug our faith a little bit. It can be a little pinprick in the back of our knowledge of Jesus. Or two, we just choose to ignore it. This is a story that we can just choose to put to the side. In fact, I would wager that of all of the miracles of Jesus, this is probably the least preached on. It's probably the least looked at. Because I think even pastors sometimes don't know what to do to make sense of this one. So if we want to talk about healing, we just talk about a different one. Because it can be difficult to fully unpack what's going on here. But I think that there's something really important for us to understand about ourselves and our journeys that we're going to see in this story. So, so let's jump in. Verse 22 begins with, They came to Bethsaida. 
they being Jesus and his disciples. And, and Bethsaida is an interesting city. A lot happens in Bethsaida. If you look through, through scriptures, look through the Gospels, according to the book of John, Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip three of Jesus' disciples. So, so his ministry was, this was one of the beginning places where he called disciples from. This is also the place where Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And it's also the story that Pastor Matt a couple of weeks ago looked at the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. When, when they began their journey, when they set out, it was from here. So, so this is a place with lots of history for, for Jesus and the disciples. Now, verse 22 continues. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So here we're introduced to the other main character in our story today. Jesus and then this blind man. But there's a couple things that you need to know about this blind man that we can pull out of this story. First, the first thing you need to know about this blind man is something we don't know. We don't get his name. We don't get a whole lot of backstory. We, we do know that the man suffered from physical blindness. He, he was unable to see, which, which meant that he relied on other people to take care of him. He, he was unable to see. The verses don't tell us how long he was blind for. Some stories in Scripture will say he's been blind since birth. Others will say he was blind for 37 years. We don't know anything about that. We just know he was a blind man. The second thing that we can see from these verses is that this man still had people in his life who loved him and cared for him. We, we find that this man was loved by those who knew him, which actually wasn't common practice at the time. That's why when we read through the Gospels and you see so many of the miracles that Jesus performed, it will tell us things like they were sitting by the side of the road or sitting at the gates of the city, or sitting at the temple gates, was because the, 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 the people, the family and friends of these people couldn't take care of them anymore, so they had to begin to figure something out, a way to scratch out a living. There weren't social safety nets, and so if you became too much of a burden on, on your family or friends, a lot of times they would just have to say, sorry, but there's nothing we can do for you. And that's why you'd see people begging by the side of the road and, and all of these kinds of things. Now, for this guy, that wasn't his story. Some of, some of his friends, they hear that Jesus was in town. And so they, they think to themselves, we need to bring I don't know, Carl. We need to bring Carl and bring him to see Jesus. And so they go grab their friends. And, and in fact, it says that they begged Jesus to touch him. That they came, they pleaded with Jesus to touch this man, to heal him. That, that they didn't just set him up to maybe bump into Jesus. But they brought him to Jesus and, and they begged and they pleaded with Jesus, Jesus, heal our friend. Now, this is where I want to begin to draw some parallels between this man's story and your story and my story. Because th this man's story and our story has, has a lot of things in common, probably metaphorically. Um, maybe you've been healed from physical blindness. Perhaps that is your story. Maybe you, you would like to be. But for the majority of us, it's not a physical blindness that, that we're dealing with that's been part of our story. It's a spiritual blindness. 
before Jesus comes in to each of our stories, we are unable to see the truth of the gospel, being blinded by sin. We are unable to do anything about our condition. We lived in darkness, surrounded by darkness, that can take on the feeling of normal because we didn't, because we don't know anything else. And, and that's what the story was for this man. He was in this condition that he could do nothing about. There was not, no treatment. There was nothing. He couldn't will himself to see again. He couldn't manufacture sight. And, and so he was just in this place of this is who he now is. And it's the same in our story that there's a point in our story where we are surrounded by darkness, unable to do anything about it. We cannot get ourselves out of it. And we rely on other people to help us. While other people, are, 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 other people aren't able to save us from our darkness, just like th this man's friends, they couldn't do anything about his blindness. They couldn't manufacture sight for him. They couldn't will it to be. They couldn't do something to give him sight. The, the, but what they could do is they could bring the man to Jesus. They could point him to Jesus. And the people around us, they can assist us. In, in your story, perhaps the people around you have assisted you by pointing you to Jesus, providing direction for us who walk in blindness. This is a really simple, but yet I think pretty profound truth. Where would we be had someone not cared enough to share Jesus with us? I am forever grateful for everyone who prayed for me and shared the gospel with me. And, and after we have met Jesus, we now need to do the same thing for others who have yet to be released from the darkness. That, that we need to then make a point of, of bringing other people, showing other people Jesus, that, that we have been brought to Jesus and we had people speak into our lives, whether it was Sunday school teachers or parents or coworkers or friends or somebody on the street. We don't know. I don't know all of your stories. But somebody pointed us towards Jesus. And then we were able to be brought from darkness into life. And now our job is to then bring our friends, bring the people around us and point them to Jesus. The next part of, of these verses say, he took a blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. So Jesus takes this blind man, his friends bring him and they plead with him, Jesus, touch him. And, and so then we read Jesus takes the blind man's hand, and he leads him out of the city. There's two things to draw from this, about this man's encounter with Jesus that, that will connect back to our own. First, his encounter was personal. That This man stood in need of a personal touch from Jesus. He himself individually was the one who was unable to see. He had a specific need, and Jesus dealt with him personally. The healing of other people certainly would have been a blessing to this guy. That, that his friends could have come to him and said, hey, did you hear Jesus healed another blind guy? And Jesus healed another guy who couldn't walk. And he, he even raised somebody from the dead. Isn't that great? And I'm sure for this man, those stories are, are wonderful to hear. And, and perhaps they, they filled him with hope. They encouraged him and perhaps built his faith that maybe one day it would be his turn. But nobody else's healing gave him his, his sight. Jesus needed to deal with this man specifically. 
And Jesus was willing to meet this man. These people brought their friend to Jesus and they begged and they pleaded with him. And Jesus personally meets with this person. Now, I love testimony. I, I love when people tell me the story of what God's been doing in their life. And I love to hear the, the incredible stories of, of God at work in, in our church and in the people in our church. And I love to hear that. I love to hear about what God is doing in your lives and in the world. And I'm so thankful for the blessings and the salvation of other people. But their salvation wasn't sufficient for me. No amount of stories of people being saved would mean that I also would be saved because of those stories. I stood in need of the Lord's touch. While I may have been surrounded by people who could see perfectly, I remained in darkness. But Christ regarded my helpless estate. And thankfully, Jesus was interested in my need and was willing to provide salvation for me. So the first thing that we see out of these, this verse is that his encounter was personal. But it was also private. This verse tells us that Jesus led the man by the hand out of town. Away from the distractions and the noise. Away from the friends and the disciples. Away from the onlookers. To a private place to deal with this man's need. This, this shows us again that Jesus was aware of his need and genuinely concerned about this man. Jesus was leading this man to a place where he and Jesus could be together, or he, where he and the man, Jesus and the man could be together. I can't remember which one was he. Um, where they could be together and he could minister to him. Regardless of where or how your encounter with Jesus came or comes, in church, at a crusade, at the side of your bed, alone, sitting on the floor, with people all around or all by yourself, it is always a personal and a private experience. When we encounter Jesus, it's, it's not an outside experience. It's not something that takes place externally. It's not a shared experience with anyone else. We need to come to a place where we realize that our need and trust in the Lord to provide what we desperately need Jesus works in our hearts and our lives through the Spirit. There's these moments where we as an individual, I as an individual, you as an individual, encounter Jesus. And I can't do it for you and no one else can do it for you. I can't be an intermediary between you and Jesus. It's a personal, private connection. Now, here, so far this story is not hard to preach on. It's not hard to understand. It's not hard to make sense of. But now is where things become more complicated. First, we read this. When he, Jesus, spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Now, even in the video that we watched, they tried to clean this up a little bit. He rubs his hand in the dirt and then kind of off screen you hear a quiet little, you know, they, they tried, they tried it because they don't want to think about this. Jesus healed people like this in a couple of places in scripture. And it always amazes me, confounds me, makes me uncomfortable, and makes me feel kind of guilty. 
it amazes me and confounds me because of all the ways that Jesus heals people. And if you look closely at the records of Jesus healing people, and I think someday we're going to do a sermon series on this, Jesus never heals anyone the same way twice. Every time Jesus heals somebody, it's done differently. But often, it's clean and it's neat. He just says a word. He tells someone, you are healed. He says, go show yourself to the priest. He, he says to, to, to Jairus, your, your, your daughter's healed. She, she's not even there. And he heals her. And there's all of these stories where it's just these clean and neat kind of things. But then sometimes he spits and makes mud and rubs it on people's faces. Or sometimes he spits directly on people. And it's amazing and confounding to me that all of the ways he could have chosen to heal people, God does it like this. He could do anything. And somehow, this is what he settles on. Speaks the universe into creation. The alpha, everything that exists, exists because of God. And this is what he does. And it makes me uncomfortable and kind of guilty because I don't know what God would have to do to get me to pray for your healing like this. I don't know how, what God would have to do in my life for you to come to prayer, come up to me for prayer, and have God speak to me, and God say, Brad, spit on Andy. And me go, all right, let's do this. I don't know how clearly God would have to, I don't know how many times he'd have to write it with a hand on the wall. I don't know what he would have to do for me to come to the conclusion that this was God speaking to me. I don't know that my faith extends that far. I mean, we talk about what would Jesus do? And we talk about doing what, Je I'm not going to spit on your daddy, honey, I promise. <laughs> After I said that, his baby started to get upset, I promise. We talk about what would Jesus do and doing what Jesus did. But sometimes the things that Jesus did are things like this. And it's so confusing to me. But I think that for all of us, and I think, think what we can take away from this, I think, think the application that we can understand for our lives in this is that I think as we encounter Jesus, it's not always just the pleasant, comfortable time where everything is hunky-dory. But sometimes when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the presence of God, when Jesus enters into our story, it gets uncomfortable. It gets uneasy. As Jesus touches our lives and touches our stories and touches our, the places in our lives that, that are just not the way they're supposed to be, suddenly we can become uncomfortable. Suddenly we can begin to feel uneasy because suddenly that part of us that we thought was hidden, the part of our stories that we were convinced no one else knew about, the things in our lives that maybe we didn't want to change, the parts of our stories that we had just come to say, this is just who I am now. Suddenly Jesus comes to us and says, what about this? What about your addiction?" What about the things you're looking at on the internet? What about your temper? What, what about your anger? What about your manipulative tendencies? What about your selfishness? And suddenly, things become really uncomfortable. 
And for this man, in this moment, when Jesus spit on him, it got uncomfortable. It was uneasy. It was not a, a moment of like, I am in the presence and the love of my Savior. All of a sudden, he heard and felt Jesus spit. And the range of emotions that I'm sure would go through any one of us if we had that happen to us. But then the story continues to seemingly unravel a little bit. Because something happens. Or rather, something doesn't happen. And, and this is where the story moves into being one that the pastors can begin to ignore or we can begin to just skip around. See, one of my favorite stories of healing in the Bible is, is when Jesus spits and makes mud and rubs it. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that, and I've preached on that a lot, and we're not going to talk about it today. But this one is a little different, and the reason why it's different is because of what happens next. Seemingly, Jesus prays, and, and he spits, and it doesn't work. Verse 23, Jesus says to the man, after he spit on him, put his hands and prayed for him, he says, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And then the man answers, he, he looked up, the man said and said, I see people, they, they look like trees walking around. Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, the Word of God that became flesh, Scripture will say that everything exists, exists through Jesus. He prays for this blind man's eyesight to be restored. And it doesn't really work. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of better, I, I suppose. Perhaps if he lived in another time, in another place, Jesus healed him to the point where what he really needed was glasses. And if he could have just had some glasses, then, then it wouldn't appear like everything was blurry and the people looked like trees. But if he had some glasses, maybe that would have corrected his vision that, that Jesus just forgot what century he was in. And so he healed him to, to now where we would celebrate and say, oh, look, he's healed. He, just, he was blind, but now he just needs glasses. But come on. This is Jesus that we're talking about here. And his prayer doesn't work. There are 28 different accounts in the Gospels of Jesus healing someone or someones. And we have no idea how many people Jesus actually healed because some of the accounts say things like this. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. So we don't know how many, many is. We just know that there's 28 places where Jesus has recorded healing someones. It could have been a thousand people there. We don't know. It could have been three. But we don't know how many people. There's places where it says, and Jesus stayed up all night as the people brought their sick family and friends, and Jesus healed them all. And nowhere else in all of Scripture does Jesus, does Jesus fall short. Does Jesus miss? Does, does Jesus seemingly fail? But here, something happens. Jesus' prayer doesn't seem to work. Can you see why pastors sometimes skip over this? Now, the question comes up. Whose fault is it? 
What, was Jesus limited in this moment? Or, or was there some issue with the man that stopped him from being healed? And in that other place where Jesus makes mud and spits on the man's eyes, uh, or spits in the mud and rubs it on the guy's face. The, it, that story begins by the, by the disciples saying, why is this man blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Well, here's this. Jesus prayed for this man. Jesus prayed for this man and he wasn't healed. So, so what's the deal? Jesus led the man out of the city. So it's just the two of them. So, so we know that it's not people all around them. And, and there are these places in, in Scripture where, where Jesus, after healing someone, Jesus will say, your faith has made you well. So is, or is what we're seeing the inverse of that? His faith or lack of it has caused him to remain unwell. That, that somehow there was something going on inside this man's life and so he couldn't be healed. Or, or maybe it was something to do with Jesus. I mean, I mean, in other places, Jesus just did something simple, and, and people were healed. He, he touched them, and boom, they were fine. He, he just spoke words, and they were raised from the dead. He just said something, and boom, they're better. And so we can, so we, when we read a story like this, sometimes what we'll say to each other to, to try and sort of comfort each other, to make some sense of it, we, we will stand and we will say, but if Jesus wanted to heal him instantly, he would have. But then why didn't he? That, that we can say that, that those kind of things to sort of make us feel better, but then we don't always ask the next question. Okay, so if, Jesus, if it was possible for Jesus to do it, why didn't he do that? Why did Jesus pray for this man to receive his sight? Why did he spit on this guy's face and then at best, it kind of worked? Well, I think that God wants to show us something about us and our stories out of this. But before I get to that, I just want to show you how this story ends. Jesus spits on the guy. He prays. It doesn't work. And you can even see again in the video that we watched that the struggle that the people making the video had of, of understanding this. Because in the moment where Jesus prays for him the second time, there's sort of like this low sound effect rumbling. And, and Jesus gets this like strained look on his face like he didn't pray hard enough the first time. But verse 25 says... Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. No spit this time. You, you'll notice that. Maybe, maybe that was the problem the whole time. No, no spit this time. But it says, Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So clearly Jesus' desire was for this man to be carried through to full sight. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here as I draw this to a close for us. Two, two things that I think God wants to speak to us today in the midst of our stories and in the midst of what's going on. And two reasons why I think we can take hope from this story, not fear and worry about God's power, but hope. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus never gives up on this man. He doesn't say to him, well, well, that's the best I got. I did my best. Take it or leave it. 
Beggars can't be choosers, man. You couldn't see it all. Be grateful for what you have. We tell our kids that all the time. Be grateful for what you have. That you don't, be thankful for what you got. Like, don't come back to me, Jesus, and complain about the fact that you couldn't see and now you can see something. He, he didn't give up on the man. He doesn't say, dude, it's your faith. I, I'm God and I can't work through you. Be better. He, he doesn't blame him. He doesn't say, it's your fault you're not healed. It's a secret sin. If you were just a better believer, you would have gotten what you wanted. But you're a failure. And now we're seeing that in your life. Jesus doesn't give up on him. He just prays for him again. He sticks with him. He continues with him. Okay, the guy didn't get healed. But let's keep going. Let's keep praying. And, and I think the ebbs and flows of this, this uncomfortable moment, and Jesus prays, and something happens, but not all of it, and so Jesus sticks with him and keeps going all the way until the end. I, I think that this story is trying to show us something about our journey. We all long for the instant prayer and miracle. I, I want to pray for healing, and boom, it's done. I, I want to pray for my marriage, and boom, it's done. I want to pray for my relationship with my family, and boom, it's fixed. I want to pray for my financial situation, and boom, it's done. I want to pray for freedom from my addictions, and boom, I'm set free. I want to pray for a miracle in my life, and boom, my eyes are open and the miracle is there. I want to pray for that. We want that. It's what we long for. But I think that what we can learn from this story is not sometimes prayer doesn't work. It's not that sometimes God can't do miracles. It's not that sometimes we can get in God's way and make his power unable to work in our lives. We all long for the boom done kind of miracle. But I think that God is showing us something else here. That sometimes our story isn't just boom done. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes your healing will come after a process. Sometimes your marriage will be restored after a process. Sometimes your family dynamics will be healed after a process. Sometimes your freedom from addiction will come after a process. Sometimes your miracle comes after a process. And what I, I think we're meant to see here is that a process is no less meaningful or powerful and no less a miracle than a boom-done kind of moment. Th this man's story wasn't, and then Jesus showed up and I touched the hem of his garment and he didn't even know I was there and boom, I could see it was amazing. This man's story is, Jesus worked with me. Jesus came into my life. He prayed for me. He didn't give up on me. He prayed for me again. And he saw me through to the other side. Friends, it's not bad to pray for somebody more than once. It's not a lack of faith to somehow say, if I pray for you again, then am I admitting my first prayer wasn't enough? It's good and it's right to pray and pray and pray again. The other thing that I think God wants to show us 
this morning is that the process, that this process is no less of a God thing. There's no point in this story where Jesus stops being God. There's no point in this story where Jesus steps out of being God and just becomes Jesus some guy. And, and that's why we have this, this weird relationship with this story is because it can be hard for us to reconcile. But before he met this guy, Jesus was God. As he led him away from the crowds, Jesus was God. As he spat on his eyes, Jesus was God. As he prayed for him, Jesus was God. And as he prayed for him again, Jesus was still God. And God wants us to know that even though some of us are on the process, a journey of our miracles, even though some of us have prayed and prayed and longed for and desired and dreamt of boom, done kind of miracles, and somehow we found ourselves on this journey of, well, I prayed, and I think maybe something happened. But, but whatever has happened is not what I've prayed for. And, and perhaps you're feeling weak because of it. Per, perhaps you're feeling like you failed because of that, that somehow I'm a bad Christian because I prayed for this and nothing happened. Perhaps you're feeling like God didn't hear you. Maybe it's because you're bad or broken or too much of a sinner that these lies are being spoken into your life that, you know, if you were better than you are, God would have done something. God would have healed you. God would have given you that. God would have done these things in your life. But you prayed for it and nothing happened. What's wrong with you? Perhaps you're feeling like because you prayed and you prayed and you haven't seen what you've asked God for, God has given up on you. But God wants you to know that today, your journey, your process, is no less of a miracle from God. And that God is no less God in your life than in someone else's. You see, God was the God of this man's process. God never gave up on him. And God saw him through to the other side. And that is the promise that God has for you today. God is the God of your process. God will never give up on you. And God will see you through to the other side. If my heart could tell a story. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. 
You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. Children, let this be their memory. That all my treasure was in heaven. were everything to me no one ever cared for me like Jesus his faithful hand has held me all this way and when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth let it be in you alone my joy was found I found my joy joy was found.